Hello, Life Changes Church. We are in our series, Move Again. We are looking through the book of Exodus as the Israelites move out of slavery and oppression, move through the wilderness, and move into the promises of God. Head over to our social media or our website for more content, such as podcasts and blogs. But also grab a notebook and a pen as we look at all that God has for us during this time. I want to tell you about something happened about seven, eight years ago. Fiona and I had just become uh, newlyweds, and uh, life was good, but I was still trying to, I was still in a little bit of the, the, the phase, the honeymoon phase of trying to woo my new bride. I wanted to show off my skill, my, 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 my true color, show that actually that she had got a, a, a great sweet deal in the bargain. So I started doing this thing called running. Something called yogging. I don't know, yogging. I think the J is silent. It's this beautiful thing where you actually go on the promenade and you run together. It's just incredible. And I was, well, she said, I run. I said, me too. I'm a runner. And we would run. And it was amazing. And then that progressed where they said, actually, I'd love us to go and climb Lion's Head. Now, panic started setting because, to be dead honest, I'm, I am not a runner. I only run when people are chasing me. And I'm definitely not a climber. This physique was not made for the heights, people. It was made for, for low down here. And, uh, and I, but I was, I'm, trying, I'm like, yeah, I'm game for that, Fiona. Let's do it. I, I, I knew there was moments where she was thinking, you know, it was a toss-up between this, this Inglesman, Gabe Phillips, and Fricky Cronier, that handsome, hot uh, Afrikaans guy. Fr- Fricky Cronier is a fictional character, by the way. It's a, no, no true name. But I, I could, in my head, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine the, the guy that she was comparing me to, you know. So I wanted to show I'm game for this. And uh, the day dawned, and the sun was really, really hot. And for a redhead, we were already on the back foot. So factor 50 sunblock, we got two lines here at the bottom. And I'm looking down saying, whoa, that thing looks a lot smaller from a long way away. And I'm like, whoa, it's, it's high up there. But I'm like, let's go, Fee. And we start going, and we, we go up around the first bend. I'm like, Camps Bay. Yeah, that's pretty cool. This is, this is not that bad. This is a gradual incline. And I remember just enjoying myself and the, the conversation was flowing. And then we came around that bend and then suddenly started seeing the steps. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought this thing would just be the whole way around. Okay, this is getting a bit of business. And I started, my body started feeling really exhausted. And as I'm taking each step, I'm going, this is getting harder and harder. And all of a sudden, talkative Charlie over here starts going very quiet. And Fiona's like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm fine. Just, you know, concentrating on the walk, you know? So I want to give it my best, Fee. As we start the third or fourth loop around, I am finished. And I'm, almost, I'm like, I am gasping for you. And she's like, what is wrong with you? You are the most unfit human being I've ever met. And I'm just seeing all the credit and goodwill that it's stored up starting to eke out of my account very quickly. And I'm, 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 I'm pressing on. And I'm, I'm, I'm not, don't exaggerate, but I'm almost down on hands and feet climbing up. And we haven't even got anywhere near the chains, people. We haven't even got near to the inclines yet. I'm halfway up and I am gasping. I'm like, Fiona, I'm down. I'm sweating. I'm perspiring. I'm like, I, I think I might die, Fiona. I need to do it. I don't want to be an exaggerator, but I think I'm on my way out. Can we go home? Fiona is looking at me. She's like, this is ridiculous. It's like, let's go home. But I can just see. She's, she's trying to be kind. But there's just, there's a whole lot of disdain in her heart. <laughs> what have I got in? Fricky, where are you? We get in the car. She drives home. I've just got my head in hanging in shame as I'm just going like this. I can't believe what has just happened in that moment. I get home and I'm just thinking, there's not many ways you can recover from this performance, Gabe. But in the middle of that night, I wake up and I am sweating. And I am feeling at the worst I've ever been. I'm making trips to the bathroom. I'm just, I am finished. I'm flat. And then I say, Fiona, something is really, really wrong. And then she says, okay, we'll make an appointment. We'll make an appointment for the doctor the next morning. Go to the doctor. He says, no, you have full-blown influenza. And you've probably had this in your system for a long time. He says, the worst thing you can do is any physical activity. And I look at Fiona and I just say, you she-devil. 
<laughs> you tried to kill me yesterday. So praise the Lord for influenza because it saved my street cred. But it, what it also did was it put me in this, this unenviable position where I, I, I never really wanted to go for a climb again. Or should I say, for someone who doesn't like climbing, it was my get-out-of-jail-free card every time someone said, let's go for a climb. <laughs> I almost died online said, people. I don't go there anymore. I, I'm happy driving up Signal Hill. I'm happy looking at it from a distance across the bay. I just don't want to climb it. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. So if you were invite coming my way, save it. Give it to somebody else. Thank you very much. Cable car, count me in. Using my own legs. No, thank you. The whole gist of that narrative is to... Remind us in, in a spiritual sense that actually I think so often that there's these, these journeys that God has got for us, but one thing could happen in our lives six, seven years ago, two years ago, a couple months ago, maybe decades ago, some, one thing can happen and it can set us back from ever moving forward again and taking on the challenges that God has for us. And it sets us back and our whole, it can end up defining our whole journey of faith because we're not able to move past it. What I want to explain to you tonight is the fact that we are going through the book of Exodus. And uh, the book of Exodus is this 40-chapter chapter narrative, and chapters 1 to 18 is the Hollywood part, the part that makes into all the movies. It's the, the part of, of a people being set free from slavery. There's, there's, there's plagues, there's, there's death, there's excitement, there's miracles, there's seas parting. It's the stuff that makes the headlines. And actually, we said as we began the series that in the, the old Negro spiritual Bibles that the, the slaves were given in America by their white slave owners, though their Bibles had Exodus chapter 1 to 18 cut out. The slave owners wanted their slaves to be Christian, but they just didn't want them to be free. So they cut out this whole narrative of a people in slavery wanting freedom. So Exodus would start in chapters 19 at the foot of Mount Sinai with the reading of the law. But now let me tell you, as I read Scripture and been going through this narrative, as I look at our world that we live in, yes, God's Christ still cries for, let my people go. There's true freedom available for you and I. But I think if in our world, it almost feels metaphorically like our world is happy with Exodus chapter 1 to 18, but it feels like we have cut out Exodus chapter 19 to 40. We will say, I want freedom. Just don't put anything on me. I want freedom on my terms, but just don't tell me that I need to do anything with that freedom. And actually, I think that's the call of the gospel we're going to push us towards here because the whole book of Exodus hinges in chapter 19 and 20 at a mountain. The whole book in 40 chapters finds its middle center point at the foot of a mountain called Mount Sinai. And that's where I want to drive us to today because we are doing the series called Move Again. And chapters 1 to 4 of Exodus is about the promise of God, a God who says, I, 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 don't, I forget your sins, but I remember my promises. I never forget my promises and what I've called you to. Chapter 5 to 11 is the power of God as God systematically takes down all the lesser gods of Egypt, flexing his power and might and saying, I'm a God who's serious and means business. Chapter 12 is the Passover, where the shedding of blood led to the freedom of his people. Chapter 14 is the passing through the Red Sea, where a Red Sea opened up, a whole nation moved through out of Egypt into their freedom, and that same sea covered up and destroyed the enemy behind them. Then chapters 15 through 18 is them walking in the wilderness and seeing supernatural provision, manna and quail, water from a rock. And then chapters 19 to 40, the rest of the narrative is basically headlined with this word called purpose. What is the whole point of chapters 1 to 18 of seeing a people free? That actually the cry of the world is, I want freedom. And God says, I want to give you freedom. But freedom is not the end goal. Freedom is to be set free for a purpose. And that's what the rest of the book needs to help us understand. So we're going to read a scripture together. Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through to 6. 
and then chapter, verses 16 to 20. It'll be on the screen behind me. Why don't you follow along? It says this, exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Verse 16 says, On the morning of the third day, thunder roared, lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this incredible room full of faith as we lean into your word tonight. I thank you that you're going to speak to us. You're not just going to stir us, you're going to change us. And I thank you, Father God, where we have become stuck staring at our mountain of disqualification, stuck staring at our mountain of failure, stuck staring at the mountain of sin, stuck staring at the mountain of disappointment. I pray today by your spirit's power, would you help us get over it by leading us up the mountain of the Lord again. And we'll find that on the mountain of the Lord, it is provided for. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. This evening, simple from this text and surrounding passages, I want to give us this question, this understanding that if we are going to get into our purpose, if you're going to find out what you've been set free for, if you're going to be able to ascend the mountain that God has got for you in front of you, if you're going to get into your purpose, there are three things that I believe we need to get over. Number one, we have to get over fighting people and move to fighting principalities. Verse four, in that narrative we read, God speaking to Moses says, Moses, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. Now, quick recap, if you're wanting to know what God did to the Egyptians, we rewind one chapter to chapter 18 and verses 10 to 11, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law who, before the, his encounter with Moses, is a man who worshiped other gods. He's a man who's, who's unfamiliar to the promises of God, but Moses has intersected with his life and he's become, in a sense, by watching what God does, a believer in God. And this incredible narrative, this is what Jethro says about what God did. He says, praise the Lord, for he has rescued you. God has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I know now that the Lord is greater than all the other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. You see, Jethro's account, I think, is so beautiful when he, he, he narrates what God has set Israel free from. He says, number one, he set you free from the Egyptians, because I can imagine the Israelites who've been slaves for 430 years do not like the Egyptians. 
They are rude to them. They are mean to them. They're despised by them. They're used by them. They, they, are, they are leapfrogged in, 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 in community and society by them. The Egyptians run roughshod over them. The Israelites don't like Egyptians. And God says, I'm going to set you free from them. There's also, he says, but he's also set you free from the power of Pharaoh. Not just the people of Egypt, but also the politics of Egypt. He says, I've set you free from all that. Where the laws of, of the land have become slavery and lids on top of your lives where you cannot progress further. You cannot be, be entitled to health care. You cannot be entitled to any sort of freedom. This is on top of you. You're going to drive. This will be your work and this is to be your meager wages. And you cannot extend higher than that. And God said, I'm going to set you free from that. But Jephthah goes further and says, he set you free from the gods of Egypt. Because he realizes, actually, it's not just God setting him free from people or politics, but actually there was principalities and powers that were above those and behind those that God needed to set them free from. Now, let me tell you this, that actually I believe that what I'm trying to explain to you and I here is the scriptures tell us that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of darkness. Now, in our Western civilization, we're like, whoa, what's going on here? Right over my head, Gabe. What's, what's, to slow things down, rewind, what is happening here? Well, let me explain that actually I think the church has been seduced and suckered into fighting people or even at a different lens, politics, when actually the true enemy is principalities and powers of darkness. Let me tell you, the political landscape here, the government, ANC government, do not hold the keys of the church. Whether I sign a document or not, God's ways, God says, my church will prevail. Let me tell you, Rome came against the church, and Rome fell, and the church kept going. Egypt have come into the church, the Egypt fell and kept going. Babylon comes, every government has set itself up against the church and try to force the church in the direction, but the people of God keep progressing on. Why? Because our fights are not against politics. I'm telling you, I will keep preaching Jesus, because actually there's a greater story, a greater narrative that we need to move into that we have to understand. But for us here in this room today, I want to tell you that I think we can get suckered and seduced into a fight against people when actually God says, no, I've set you free for a much higher fight, for a much higher purpose that we have to understand. Maybe I can explain it this way. That I believe bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, people-pleasing will hijack your purpose like not much else. Let me tell you a little narrative. When we planted this church, this congregation a couple of years ago, I remember the build-up to it, so excited for that night and so gripped with the sense of, God, you've called us to go and plant a church in the city of Cape Town, aware that just prior to a few months earlier, several churches in our city had closed in the very city, city bowl here because it's just a hard environment to plant churches in. But I'm like, God, you've given us a word. You've told us that actually we're going to plant a church that's not just going to survive, that's going to thrive and have impact in the city, that we're going to take the, down the powers and principalities of darkness. We're going to see your kingdom break through. We're going to see doctors. We're going to see lawyers. We're going to see uh, the people who are, who, are, who are homeless. People come together and find a calling and find Jesus and declare the good news of Jesus together. Filled with passion. So pumped. Let's take on the kingdom of darkness. And the night before we launched the church, I get a message on my phone from somebody in my distant past who says, hey, just saw on, on social media that you are planting a church tomorrow. He says, and I quote, who the hell do you think you are to be planting a church? And then he started to list the areas in my life where he knew that I had failed from my past where he said that I had not measured up, where I had not been able to be even be called a Christian, let alone someone planted a church. And in that moment, all my faith and courage was went like this, gone. And I was, I was so angry at first. Who, no, who the hell am I? am I? Who the hell does he think he is in me at this time? How he hasn't seen me before he did it? And I start parading and I start rehearsing all the things that he has let me down in, and, we're here. and then I start to think about it and go, but actually maybe he's right. 
I am, a, I am a failure. I didn't get back to you on that thing. I didn't do this thing. I didn't follow up with that. I didn't do sort out that thing. I do have that. And then condemnation started to set in. And I suddenly got suckered into this narrative that I was called those fighting people. But actually behind that wasn't a bitter or angry person. Let me tell you, behind that message was a power and principality trying to distract me from my purpose. Call me to fix my focus on small things and actually say, no, 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 no. I've called you to greater things. I've called you. Don't get stuck behind this mountain because over the mountain, I've got a story for you. And I, I want to remind you that that is the enemy's bait and switch. You know, he'll bait and switch with us. He trades, us, he trades, uh, us, he trades spiritual battles for physical battles all the time. Where you and I were meant to take down spiritual giants and take leaps of uh, victory and faith for our family and friends, the enemy will just seduce you subtly to fight physical battles. And this is what the reality is that we start our, our, our prayer lives. If you want to know wh whether you're fighting spiritual or physical battles, what is grabbing your attention is just go and take an audit of your prayer life. And I'm being the first one here to admit that far too often my prayer life will be something like this and, and, and maybe you can find your place in these things like, oh God, deal with my boss. It's just, it's the worst. God, speak to my spouse. He, she, oh, just, you know, I just I can't deal. You need a deal, do something. God, my kids, God, my ex is just driving me up the wall. I need breakthrough in that Jesus' name over that ex. Just plead the blood right now. God, my so-called friends, would you just, I oh, just, God, would you convict them right now of how they've been so mean, so rude to me, how they've just, God, my pastor, just God, help me, Jesus. Give me, and none of those things are evil or wrong, but actually they're way too small for the people of God. Way too small for the people of God. Actually, so it leads us to places, we fester things like that, and we call it, we dress up as spirituality, when actually it's, we, it leaves us wrestling with unforgiveness for years and years and years and never able to move into our future. You see, nothing, I'll say it again, nothing will rob your future of strength and purpose like offense, unforgiveness, and bitterness. Because those seemingly small things very quickly become mountains of their own. And the enemy will hide your future behind the mountain of offense. And I, I want to tell you that this narrative, you rewind to chapter 18. Moses is standing on the uh, precipice leading two million people out of Egypt. Two million people. And, and he gets this incredible strategy from his father-in-law on how he's going to lead these people. And he says, and Jethro gives him this strategy, this pastoral strategy of how to love people and lead them and bring order. And it's genius and it's brilliant and it's godly. Jethro spoken and said, this is how you'll lead the two million people. And I can imagine Moses like, this is huge, this is big, I need to get the strategy right. Two million groaning and moaning and complaining people who've got issues, I've got to deal with all these people. Chapter 19, the first time God speaks to him about these people, God says, Moses, leave the people, come up the mountain. Because actually we have to get over people and start realizing that we're going to lean into fighting with principalities and power. I'm not saying get over it, I'm saying get above it. Go up the mountain. Will you see a different perspective on what is going on, happening on? And if, if you're wanting to know what spiritual warfare looks like right now, it's not walking around in circles, praying in some foreign language. It's not doing X, Y, Z. No, no, spiritual warfare right now for you and not me that will see us walk into purpose, forgive people. Forgive them. Forgive them. Now, right now, no ifs, no buts, just let go. I've talk, spoken in the last weeks, people who are, who are still battling with forgiving. Somebody told me they're they struggling with forgiveness because their dad died when they were a kid. They haven't been able to forgive their father. And, and people wrestling with those things and wondering why they're not able to walk into the purpose of God because they haven't been able to let go and trust God. That actually, I want to fight for different things. So I want to tell you today, the call of God is the same. Would you get up the mountain? 
You've got to get over people. Get over fighting people and start fighting principalities. Secondly, tonight I want to tell you, we have to get over looking for God's hand and move to looking for God's heart. You know, this is what God says in verse 4. He says this, You know, Moses, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I love this. God says, actually, he's giving to him, I set you free out of Egypt to bring you to myself. Before promised land, before all the glitz and glamour of Canaan, I brought you to myself. I am the object and the, the, the reason for your freedom. Me, God, I am the one I brought you to. And the Israelites in the wilderness could never settle this in their heart. That's why the people, they, their prayer life, the Israelites, and it's much like ours, from the moment they get set free out of Egypt, that all the way for the next 40 years, their prayer life is, God, feed us. God, clothe us. God, provide for us. God, comfort us. God, protect us. It's just looking for God's hand of deliverance. Although they had seen his hand move powerfully all the way through Egypt to set them free, they were never able to make the transition to understand who God was himself. Actually, Psalms 103 says it very clearly, verse 7, says, he made known, God made known his ways to Moses, but his deeds to the people of Israel. Basically, the psalmist is saying, Moses knew God's heart. The people only knew God's hand. They're only the benefits at the base of the mountain. They're able, never able to get over the mountain. Let me tell you, too many people get stuck at the bottom of the mountain, unable to move into their purpose because they don't know God's heart in, the, in, the, in lockdown, I remember in, the, in the, the height of COVID craziness and memes and messages and forwarded videos and, hey, weigh in, what do you think about this thing? And, and uh, there was this, the, the, the most used scripture, all of a sudden, people love the scripture, was Psalm 91. And Psalm 91 is a great scripture, but the, the meat of Psalm 91 is about how God will protect you and he'll hide you in the, in the, dark, the darkest night. He'll, uh, he'll keep you safe from the arrow that flies at night and pestilence and disease and viruses. And people are like, that's our psalm. We are pray that over our house to be protected. We want that protection. COVID-19, Psalm 91. It's like, whoa, we're fine now. And, it was, and, and, and it's beautiful, the benefits of it. But actually, the problem with reading scripture like that is you miss verse one, you miss everything. Because Psalm 91, verse 1, and if you are in trouble, and you are in chaos, and your world is falling apart, and you're saying, I don't know what to do, I'll point you to Psalm 91, verse 1, 911. There's your alarm call. If you're ever in trouble, call 911. That is a cheesy preacher joke right there. But Psalm 91, verse 1 reads like this. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. In that one verse, the psalmist uses four different names of God. He uses the word most high, which is the word Elion, which means supreme. He uses the word almighty, which is Shaddai, which means powerful. He uses the word Lord, which is Yahweh, meaning I am who I am. He uses the word God, which is Elohim, means authority. In one verse, he tells us, this is who you are, God. And the rest of the psalm is, and this is how you move. This is how you protect. And this is a beautiful thing. And if you read that whole part of that psalm, you find the very last one. In verse 16, it says, I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. And that word salvation is where we get the word Yeshua from, named Jesus. The fifth number of grace, the, five, the fifth name of God in that psalm is named Jesus. Encompasses all, almighty, supreme, powerful. The Lord, God, I am who I am, is in him. But I want to tell you, we have to, before we understand his hand, we've got to be people who understand his heart, who God is. We've got a little two-and-a-half-year-old called Benjamin. 
And the nighttime routine, when we put him down to bed, he loves this thing. He'll say to me, we know he's tired when he says the words, Dada, pat me. He's ready. He's ready now, you know. So we put him in, in his little cot, and you put the light off. You put the fan on the noise, and you get there, and you're in a half an asleep yourself, and you just start to pat, you know. And you count, in my head, I'm counting to a minute because that's a feel like that's good parenting if you stay there for a minute, yeah. Just pat, 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 pat. But he's got this new habit where that, his little hand comes out from the blanket and grabs your wrist to hold, secure himself to you. Which is awesome. It's very cute at first, like, oh, sweet. But then you realize it's very hard to make a subtle exit with that hand gripping your hand. It's like mm, trying to prize because you want to get out of there, you know? So then the tactic came that we actually started to say. We stumbled and we're saying things, words like this, saying, Benji, you can let go now because we're not leaving. Dad is not going. Dad, we just go, I'm just going out and I'll come back later. I'll be back later, just not now. And it's an amazing thing with his little hand will let go, he'll turn over and he'll go to sleep prophesying long may that last. But what I realized as I re think about that, I realized that actually Benji, for, for a short brief moment, he, he actually, in his insecurity of, Dad, I'm in the dark and I might be left alone, grabbed hold of my hand. I'm not going to let go of your hand because I need you here. But there's become a trust in him that actually, even though Dad might not be right present in this moment, dark as I cannot maybe feel him or see him or touch him, I do know that he's still here. And he's shifted from trusting my hand to trusting my heart. And actually, I think too many Christians get stumped. Actually, God is not providing. Where is he? God has not brought the breakthrough. Where is he? I've been left alone. What's going on? I'm still struggling with that problem. Where is God? I haven't seen him move. Where is that miracle? And we forget. We lose shape, focus on what God has called us to because we don't know his heart. I want to tell you today, you need, your need might seem like a mountain. Today, I want to tell you, climb the mountain of the Lord, and you'll see how small it is in light of your God. I tell you tonight, God is Yahweh, which means I am who I am. He is Jehovah Im Kadesh, which means the God who sanctifies. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He is Jehovah Shalom, God your peace. He is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. He is El Shaddai, the God Almighty. He is Elohim whose strength and power. He is immutable, unchangeable, immortal, never perishing. He's transcendent, he's imminent, he's omniscient, all-knowing, he's omnipotent, all-powerful, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. And that God says, come up the mountain and know me. Know my heart. So today I want to tell you, we've got to get over. We've got to get over trying to find God's hand and start understanding God's heart. And we'll see his hand work in our lives. Tonight, God is calling us up the mountain. Thirdly and finally, as we land, I want to say we have to get over earning forgiveness and move to receiving favor. Verse five to six, God speaking says this to Moses. Now, if you will obey me, and keep my command and my covenant, you'll be my own special treasure from among the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. I love that word. I love that word now. It says now. And that word is there right at the base of the mountain, chapter 19. God says now. 18 chapters setting you free, and God is now saying, actually, I'm setting you free for a purpose. Now this is what I'm doing. And it's a transition word. When someone says, now we're going to move on. Now we're changing restaurants. Now we're going to do this. Now it means something's about to change. And yet, the people of God did not change. Actually, in fact, from this moment onwards, for the next 40 years, they could not get free. 40 years, they walked around the same mountain, metaphorically and physically, again and again, unable to go into the future because they were unable to get Egypt out of them. God got them out of Egypt, but they weren't able to get Egypt out of them. 
unable to progress, unable to move forward. But God is saying, actually, what I'm doing in this moment, I'm trying to settle and remind you that you're no longer slaves. You were slaves, but I've set you free. Now I'm trying to form you and show you that I've set you free from your slavery. Why? To make you into a kingdom of priests. Identity and purpose. And I want to tell you, you and I here today, that actually we have to understand the new covenant language is when God sees you and I, he does not, he, if we are in Christ Jesus, he no longer calls you sinner. He no longer calls you sinner. No in scripture do I see in the new covenant. He says under the blood of Jesus, says, you're no longer sinner. Now I call you son. Now I call you daughter. I am making you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, a planting of the, of the Lord for a display of his glory. That is who you are, and that's what I'm making you for. That is what I set you free for. And we have to understand, I think we've bought into a, 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 a religious space where we understand grace that sets us free, which is wonderful. But also, it's the same grace that says, I set you free, but it's a grace that also empowers you to walk into purpose. It's the same grace. It's a, it's a two-for-one deal. Very Mark special. A grace that sets you free. And now, a grace that empowers you. But I say to you, this, this is the question that the psalmist asks in Psalm 24. He says this, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Great question. Rhetorical question the psalmist asks. Psalm 24, verse 1, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Goes on to say, this is who may ascend the hill. This is who may climb up the mountain. This is who must, can come before God with confidence. He who has clean hands. He who has a pure heart. He who has not laid down to serve another idol. Now, when I look at the Israelite people, two million of them, including Moses, I look at them and I go, clean hands, fail. Pure hearts, fail. Serving idols, fail. Be careful which finger I put up there. Before I go too hardcore on the Israelites, let me tell you, when I look across this room very quickly, let me scan quickly. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Clean hands, fail. Pure hearts, fail. Serving idols, fail. When I look at myself, fail, fail, fail. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? No one. None of us. Not one. Except one. And his name is Jesus Christ. And the scriptures tell us that as he came to earth and he lived this life, as he, as he is showing humanity the, that the, the more they were lived for, as he's showing humanity that actually you're not defined by a religious system, you're not defined by the laws of man, you're defined as by God himself. They actually allow God to define your future and, and, your, and actually this is how healing works and this is how you pray to your father. And actually you may have heard it said, but I tell you God is redeeming and showing them what actually the vision for the future looks like. And then he starts to Ascend a hill, climb a hill. His life is bookended by a mountain called Golgotha. And as Jesus at this time of year around Easter, but he started to climb the mountain of the Lord and he ascends the hill of the Lord. That man, the only one, the God man who goes up the hill of the Lord with confidence as he drags that cross up there. Colossians 2 says, as he did that, and he plunged that cross into the, the, the hill called Golgotha, the skull. It says that he, he made a public spectacle of the powers and principalities of darkness, rending the ring them nakeless, naked and helpless. He destroyed darkness. Not worrying about people. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing, but my mission is to take down darkness. As he plunged across into the skull of Golgotha, in that moment, everything of the they said, save yourself. Ask for God to call down angels. We want to see you save yourself. But he said, no, I'm not looking for the hand of God. I know the heart of God. 
And I'm going to say, not my will, but yours be done. And he drank the fullness of the wrath of God completely to his dregs. And on that cross that day, the written code of the law, they said, no, 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 you can't do this with it. You, are, you, you have defiled yourself. You cannot do this. But he said, no, no, I'm taking the written code of the law and I'm nailing it to the cross and I'm saying it is finished. That which declared death and a measurement of earning forgiveness, I'm telling you, no, no, as I say, it is finished. The sons and daughters of God can receive favor. This is what Jesus did when he went up that hill. So I tell you today, the scripture that's so incredibly read, Exodus chapter 12, the blood of the lamb is put on the door to set people free. 50 days from that moment, Exodus chapter 12, all the way to the base of Mount Sinai, 50 days. It's 50 days from that moment of the giving of the law. The moment when Jesus died on the cross as our substitutionary lamb, the blood that will set the salvation of sinners free, 50 days from that moment is a day called Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was outpoured. A different mountain, a different moment. You see, in that moment in Mount Sinai, as we read the scriptures, called the mountain of fire and terrifying fire. It was burning and loud and thundering and people did not want to approach it. They were terrified and trembling. Fire was there to keep them at a distance. On the day of Pentecost, fire was poured out from heaven on the believers so the believers could go with the power of God into the future and show the world what the Lord looks like. Let me tell you, on that day of the Sinai, as the Bible said, do not even touch the mountain. People stepped out and touched it, and 3,000 people were put to death. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches with the fire of God burning his heart, 3,000 people were saved. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses approaches God the first time trembling, and God says to him, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Uh, you cannot come to me with any arrogance about you. Take your shoes off. It's not about you. Take your shoes off. And Moses does that in the new covenant. The father sees the prodigal son coming home, and this, the first thing he says is, put shoes on that boy. I've got a new identity, a purpose for him. This is the good news of the gospel today. I want to tell you today that Jesus climbed the mountain for us. And he's calling us up the same mountain. He says, come with me. Come with me. Come with me into your purpose. So today I want to tell you, if you want to get into your purpose, you have to get over your past. If you want to get into your purpose, you have to get over your prejudices. If you want to get into your purpose, you have to get over your pain. You have to get over your persecution. Get over your failure. Get over your addictions. Get over your faithlessness. And this is not me saying, get over it in your willpower. This is saying, ascend the hill and see what he sees. Get above it. Get over it and see what, from Christ's perspective, what he has for you. I want us to read one more scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 to 24. This is what the writer of Hebrews says about the situation we face. He says, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. Even if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come. Sons and daughters of the living God, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. We have come to the mountain of the Lord. And God says, on that mountain, I will provide. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. That was an incredible message. If you want to get connected, please head over to our website. But if you want to find out more about this amazing series, follow us on Facebook and Instagram or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Otherwise, have an incredible week.